I'm Mike. I'm Austin. We are the test drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And it's that time again, we've got a bunch of new Apple hardware to talk about. Obviously, we're going to get to the iPhones. But before we do, I actually want to talk about one of the products I'm most excited about. I think actually the product I'm most excited about, which is the iPad mini. But why not, instead of just the two of us talk about it, why don't we bring on to the show Tom Boger, who's VP of Mac and iPad product marketing at Apple, and Stephen Toner, who is director of platform product marketing at Apple as well. And we can talk to them about it and ask them everything we want to know about the new iPad mini and new iPad. So we got to start by talking about the iPad mini. I mean, I know I speak for many people. I was blown away yesterday by not just how much, uh, but I don't think, I definitely wasn't expecting the iPad mini yet. So I was super excited to see it get such an update. One of the, the ways that the presentation began was kind of like talking through where the iPad mini is used, like the type of people that are using it. And there was some, I, th- I think the one that really stuck out, stuck out to me was the pilot with the iPad mini strapped to his leg. Um, sure. I kind of wanted to hear a bit more about that from from you both. Like, where do you see or where do you know of the iPad mini getting the most use? And do you expect that the new iPad mini will be a great addition for people already using it? Do you think it could bring in new use cases with its changed features? Well, first of all, you are not the only person who was blown away by the announcements around the iPad mini. Uh, tremendous response from uh, our users and customers. Um, the excitement is was palpable after the uh, after the intro. There's lots of mini fans out there, and there's actually lots of people now who are uh, saying, you know, I, I think I want an iPad Mini because <laughs> they they think about you know use cases of their own that they can that they can apply it to as well. So yeah, I mean, one of the things that we wanted to uh, highlight about the Mini is its incredible versatility, and 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 of course that's a hallmark of the iPad. In, it, in and of itself. And it's also a hallmark of the entire line of iPads is that it's an incredibly versatile lineup of iPads. And where the mini really shines in terms of versatility is because of its size and portability, right? That's the element it brings to the iPad product line that allows it to occupy so many different and such a variety of use cases. And so, it's something that's very popular in the aviation industry, as we highlighted. You know, people literally, pilots literally strap it to their leg, uh, whether it's be in a helicopter or in a jet. And it's not just pilots in the air. Uh, it's actually uh, very popular for, with sailors and, and boat captains and, and on the water as well. It's very popular in the medical profession. Again, its size is key. So it literally fits into the pocket of a lab coat. Right. And so uh, that's what makes it popular in the, in the medical industry. People, nurses and doctors can take it on their rounds. Uh, it's popular in all kinds of vertical applications like uh, field service technicians. You noticed in the keynote, we, sh- we showed someone using Splunk AR uh, looking at the uh, inverters on a solar panel. Um, and so that allows uh, someone in the field and having 5G connectivity is key there so that they can you know, monitor devices diagnose issues, et cetera. We see people using them on, you know, pipelines. We see people using them on giant windmills that generate electricity. Uh, And then there's just like everyday use cases from 
realtors taking customers and, and clients through real estate that people are go going to purchase. Architects, you know, we showed SketchUp in the keynote. That's a huge app, by the way, that's really popular, that's coming to iPad. We're really excited about architects right on site with their clients, uh, sketching out ideas for, uh, mm. you know, in that case, a kitchen in the keynote. Um, so there's this just tremendous variety of use cases. And of course, there's just everyday use cases. Yeah. Reading, it's great for reading, it's great for surfing the web. And so what we tried to do uh, with, the, uh, with the new iPad is really add to that versatility and the capability of the mini so that it could be used uh, not just in the use cases that it's in today, but even more use cases, like adding USB-C, right? We uh, allow a photographer who's on a, on a, on a shoot to connect a, a DSLR camera, or that we can, uh, with a USB-C, a doctor could be in a remote location doing an ultrasound. Yeah. So the, 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 the iPad mini is all about the combination of versatility and portability. You know, Tommy, you mentioned about people seeing the the new model and being like, oh man, you know what? I think I could, I think I want one of these. It really reminded me, I think of the second iPad mini where like the iPad mini came out and it was a hit. And then the second model, it was like, I think there was a slight redesign and it got, I think the same level of power as the regular iPad, which is kind of what we're seeing now with the iPad Air. And it just really reminded me of that because I remember at the time everyone was like, no, I really want one of these. And I think we might be back <laughs> to that time again. <laughs> Well, you know, and one of the one of the things that yes, uh, Tuesday um, uh, highlighted is the fact that if you think about it, just about any iPad can run just about any application, right? And so we have the benefit of the incredible power and efficiency of Apple Silicon in all of our iPads, and it means that uh, whether it's the iPad Mini or the entry iPad that we talked about, the ninth generation iPad. Um, not only can you do everyday things, but you can try those more sophisticated applications and they work great. And we, we highlighted Adobe Fresco. And so if you're, you know, someone who's looking to pick up a new hobby or try a new skill or do something you've never done before, you know, one of the things that we have said from the beginning of iPad, and it's as true today as it has ever been, is it's this magical sheet of glass that can do whatever you need it to do. Right. And so that is, uh, you know, really exemplified by the iPad mini. And, you know, Stephen might want to jump in about yep. one of the hallmarks about why that's the case. And one of the reasons why that's the case and one of the things that make that possible is iPad OS. And with iPad OS 15, right. we got some great new features as well on that mini. No, yeah, 100 percent. That was actually, you know, it's a great, it's a great point about this amazingly portable iPad mini you get the full power of iPadOS, right? You can multitask. You can use Apple Pencil and QuickNote. You get all these new capabilities like widgets on the home screen, um, the ability to use the Translate app now. You can set your iPad mini down and just translation detects the language of the other person speaking and translates for you. As we cut, as you know, we've talked before about iPadOS, the, the, you know, what makes us unique is we design an operating system specifically for this hardware. Right, we can take advantage of the full unique capabilities of iPad with iPad OS, and this year we're continuing to add more capability to iPad with iPad OS 15, with all the improvements to to multitasking and note taking with Quick Note, et cetera. And so I think this is just a great you know complement and continues that tradition of designing hardware and software together to deliver this incredibly unique experience for our users. 
Yeah. And I think one of the things that's really jumped out to me is, you know, when the iPad Pro got, I think it's the 2018 refresh, obviously that was a brand new design language, which has really kind of trickled down now through the iPad, but you can kind of see a little bit of that design language and like the iPhones and whatnot. But it's really nice to see this come to the iPad mini. I'm with Mike. That second iPad mini was like such a, like, I love the first one, but the second one was such a huge leap. And to me, it was like this sort of really special moment where it's like, oh, you know what? The iPad had already sort of, you know, been in the existing size, but shrinking it down, it felt like it was something kind of really different there. And when you, especially when you look at the new iPad mini compared to the iPad Air, it seems really similar, like you had kind of mentioned, in that you're not really giving up functionality. You're really just sort of getting a different form factor. And I was just kind of curious, is that kind of the mentality when it comes to, you know, everything from the large iPad Pro all the way down to the iPad mini? Is the idea that you want to try to just build iPad OS and the hardware to kind of allow you to do everything across all the devices and the differentiation is really just kind of in the form factor that you personally prefer? Yeah. So one of the things that iPad mini really demonstrates is the fact that we take a, a especially with the iPad mini, we take a very different uh, approach with iPad mini compared to what the rest of the industry does. If you look at, you know, that category of, you know, eight inch tablets, et cetera, what, what our competition does is they basically defeature it make it as cheap as possible. And it's kind of this, just this consumption device, maybe that, you know, you throw in the backseat with the kids, right? We take a completely different approach. We are, our approach with iPad mini is, and we have this saying, we want it to be every inch an iPad. And so, so we want that full iPad experience, no compromise experience, but the difference is it's, it's in the palm of your hand, right? So it's more portable. You can take it anywhere. You can fit it in your coat pocket. You can fit it in your lab coat, wherever. You can fit it in your bag, in a cockpit, uh, wherever, wherever you know it may go. And so our approach to Mini is very, very different than um, what is taken in, in, the, in the rest of the industry. And to Stephen's point, we want to make sure that when you're using all those great features of iPad uh, OS, um, there's no compromises, right? I mean, the only difference is the the screen size, and that's that's the strength of the product in the use cases that we find it. That's right. And I'd, I'd even add to that that as a user maybe starts on an iPad Mini and then gets you know the the iPad you know ninth gen or an iPad Pro, that experience is just going to scale perfectly, right? They don't have to learn something new. They get all that capability as they go up the line because we do pack that full power of iPad. Um, across the line, which I think is a is a really unique advantage of ours. And many customers use both, right? They'll 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 use an iPad Mini in part, some parts of their day, and they'll use a, a larger iPad or even a Mac in other parts of the day. That's the beauty, as you guys are intimately aware of continuity and working between you know devices uh, in, in our ecosystem. But you know, the iPad Mini is that thing that can you can take with it, with you wherever you go. Absolutely. And I think it's nice to see that's not only on the iPad, but also on the iPhone, right? Like I've been a big iPhone 12 mini user. I love the fact that you can kind of get essentially the same experience, but you got just kind of get to pick the form factor, which is something that like you had kind of mentioned is fairly rare. I feel like a lot of other companies, you know, the smaller version is the, is the last powerful version or the, you know, the worst screen or whatever the case is, but really it's like you're giving people more choice. I do have to ask though. So as an iPad user, specifically an iPad pro user, uh, the smart keyboard is absolutely indispensable. Like there is, it's hard for me to imagine a day that the iPad didn't have a keyboard and a trackpad. Like it makes such a huge difference. Now I'm assuming that the size of an iPad mini would make that difficult, but was there any consideration for some kind of keyboard for the iPad mini? 
Well, we, as you guys may know, we never get into, you know, what we may or may <laughs> not consider on our roadmap. Uh, but um, of course, if you are interested in using a keyboard or trackpad or mouse, um, you can use Bluetooth devices yeah. uh, with the, the Mini just fine. Uh, Steven, I don't know if you know, want to yeah. elaborate on that. I was, no, yeah, I was going to say exactly that is you can, you know, you can pair a, an Apple, you know, or third party, you know, key, Bluetooth keyboard, um, mouse or trackpad. And as you guys probably are also aware, with universal control coming out later this fall, you'll be able to use your Mac next to your iPad mini, move that mouse right over to your, to your iPad mini and have that kind of fluid experience as you use a single mouse and keyboard across devices, kind of coming back to that continuity point that Tom talked about. We think that's going to be a great way to interact with iPad and Mac together. Super nice. I want to talk about color. So I think one of the things that I've been super excited about uh, over the last few months is all of the variety of colors that are coming to more products outside of just the iPhone. So like I'm talking to you now, I have a beautiful yellow iMac and I absolutely adore it. And I was super excited to see a purple version of the iPad mini. I think that's great. But I want to ask about some of the names of the colors because I, I don't know what Starlight is and I'm hoping that you can help explain to me what Starlight is. Midnight, I get. Starlight, I don't get. Well, Starlight is a very interesting color, and especially when you see it in person. It's a little bit of a mix of silver and gold, but Yeah, it looks neither. like it has more of like silver but with like a hint of a yellower color than a blue yeah, color than midnight, say. It, it, it's kind of a warmer silver, and, and, uh, and it's one of those colors, you know, space gray is the same way. It's one of those colors where depending on which the lighting is in the room or what time of day or it, it kind of kind of changes you know it kind of changes uh you know depending on the the room you're in and um you know bringing we were really excited to bring color to the mini because obviously it allows people to reflect their personality uh allows them to color coordinate it's just fun you know we we love how fun bringing colors are to you know imax and 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 the in this case the mini so yeah, we've gotten a really great reaction from people and, you know, purple or people are loving the purple and, and pink and 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 starlight and starlight's just like, you know, if, if you think about when you look up in the sky, you, you kind of see that that midnight color, which, you know, it's it's dark, but it has just like that, like very subtle hint of blue. And then mm -hmm. the sp stars peeking out, you know, amongst that, uh, you know, midnight space have this little bit of a warm glow to them. Because I guess this Starlight and Midnight, they seem to be pretty prevalent across the different product lines of the stuff that you announced, which I guess reminds me of Space Gray. So I guess there's like, if it's up outside of the of our Earth, it gets a special name, those colors. <laughs> <laughs> we just like to pick, you know, uh, names for our colors that, you know, just feel appropriate and, mm -hmm. and give you a, uh, a, a feeling for, for what the color is all about. And sometimes it's just, you know, pay. It's purple, right? And so <laughs> we all know what it is. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I'm really curious, kind of, you know, the iPad Mini has been around for quite a while, and sort of it's been updated a couple of times. But really, this seems feels like probably one of, if not the biggest update it's seen. Um, but the form factor is very similar, and I'm sure that that is intentional. Obviously, you know, the screen has gotten larger, but the form factor itself has gotten very sort of, you know, it's it's the same in a lot of ways. I'm really curious, how do you see the iPad mini sort of fitting not only into the iPad landscape, but also, you know, it's not 
obviously it's larger than, you know, a, a Pro Max or something, but it's not like a massively, you know, huge, huge device. So I'm kind of curious kind of how do you see users seeing the iPad mini and kind of liking that size? Like, is it more of a, you know, like specialty uses of like pilots and all this kind of stuff? Or do you see the iPad mini as really being a very distinct device that, you know, no one would even ever consider using their phone and their iPad side by side? No, I think it's, uh, it's, both. It's it's not only that device that is appropriate for all of these vertical use cases that we talked about earlier, but it's also just a, an every great everyday system, right? Uh, it, it's great for kids, right? It's great for you know for kids in the sense of their first iPad. You know, it's just it's just you know easier to hold for them, and it's easier for them to get started, and and so there's that there's that element to it. A lot of people, they want a device with them all the time, uh, but not necessarily carrying a bulkier device. So this allows them to do that, you know, uh, slip it in, slip it in a pocket or, or what have you. And obviously we careful, we carefully consider our designs and, you know, we love uh, the design on the Air, iPad Air and, and uh, you know, we've got great customer reaction to that design. And, and um, we were just, you know, thrilled to bring it to the mini. And, you know, share that same design language yet, uh, you know, there's obviously the differences between the air and the mini and, and in certain cases, uh, you know, the, the air is more appropriate to use. And in other cases, the mini is, and it's at the end of the day, we're giving our users choice and allowing them to choose. And that's why, you know, I think it's important to go back to, to what was said in the beginning, where not only from day one, we've always talked about the versatility of an iPad. Right. The, the iPad is versatility has always been, you know, it's its greatest strength. But what sometimes people don't realize is that the iPad lineup is incredibly diverse as well. Right. All the way from an iPad mini to an iPad Pro with an M1 chip, Thunderbolt promotion, you know, incredible performance and capabilities all within the same product line. And again, you can use software all across the line. Yeah. The experience, as Stephen pointed out, you're like it's you're not changing your user experience in a radical way. It's all very seamless, very intuitive, and it just depends on what you're trying to do. Yeah, and I think something interesting you had kind of mentioned there is you know it's it's a great iPad for kids, right? And I totally see that. You know, I have a couple of young nephews, and you know they absolutely love having their iPads not only for you know watching videos and stuff, but also for schoolwork, right? And I'm kind of curious, like so. Obviously, in the kind of the education space, there's a mix of devices. It's actually kind of like how that had been mentioned at the keynote, everything from, you know, like low end, like Android tablets and, and Chromebooks and stuff. And I think one of the things that's really sort of really I appreciate sort of in the keynote was there's a mention, I believe it was on the entry uh, iPad, about like how much more powerful even the entry iPad is than, you know, the best selling Chromebooks or, you know, Android tablets and whatnot. I've got to imagine it's been a huge advantage having not only the software and the design, but also the performance that can enable a lot more use cases compared to some of the very basic, cheapy kind of devices that a lot of kids are oftentimes, you know, given at school or what have you. We're extremely fortunate to have the, I'll call it the magic of Apple Silicon, because it really is this tr tremendous performance per watt of Apple Silicon, right? You know, and, and the, what makes our uh, silicon efforts unique is we're not a a vendor that just makes silicon uh, for lowest common denominator we design our silicon specifically for our devices right and so the idea is to get the maximum performance out of that thermal envelope of those devices and so we enjoy 
even at the entry part of our iPad product line, you know, the the pro, the iPad that has the 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 most, uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, the lowest price and the most value in that in that price, we have um, tremendous performance. So what it allows users to do is it doesn't place any limits on them. So maybe they want to use it for everyday stuff, and and that's that's why they purchased it in the first place: surf the web, do email, watch movies, etc. But it also allows them to, you know, download that app that maybe they want to try a new hobby. Maybe they want to try a new thing. Maybe they want to do something they're feeling, you know, creative that day. And they don't even have to think about, well, can my iPad run that app? No, you just download something like, you know, Adobe Fresco with its watercolors, which we highlighted in the keynote. And you just, you just go, you know, start creating. And so it's, it's just removing those limits and allowing customers to use whatever software they want to use. Like, like we've, we've always, you know, talked about, one of the other things that makes you iPad incredibly unique is that it has over a million apps specifically designed for it. Mm. And so you never have to worry, like, do I have enough performance to run this app? No. Now, if there's some really high end things that people might need to do, you know, multiple streams of 4K video, uh, you know, doing some renderings there. Uh, yeah. But we have an iPad for that, too. That's an iPad Pro. Stephen, you might want to talk about how. You know, it, it just enables us to do incredible stuff in iPad OS as well. Right. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, when you look at the capability that it provides us, even in, you know, the education environment, students can do AR, right? It's got front and back cameras, right? They can record video, they can build projects and slide decks and et cetera. I mean, I think that same capability from the hardware carries through the software that unlocks this capability that you cannot find on any other device, any other competing device, right? And I think that's the big appeal there. As, as Tom was saying is you can lean back and watch a movie or you can build this incredible project on it, whether it's using Apple Pencil or the video and, and the camera capabilities. And, and we make all that possible in iPad OS, right? We wanna let people do whatever it is they wanna do on this incredible device um, to give them that versatility of experience. And um, yeah, I think that's what you're seeing is, is there, there really is no other device like an iPad. Yeah, like I'm I'm a big fan of iPad, but I'm a bigger fan of iPad OS, like just in general. I think w one of the things that I've really enjoyed about iPad OS 15, uh, I love the new level of keyboard control. Um, I really love the new multitasking controls, like the buttons that now mm -hmm. sit at the top of the screen and widgets. Like I knew I wanted widgets on the home screen, but now I have them on my iPad too and app library. Oh, it feels so good. I right. remember, Stephen, I think we spoke to you for iOS 14 and we told you how much we wanted those things. <laughs> and see that? Like, it, Thank you, spoke, you. We did it. That's exactly how it works. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, it, yeah, the, the, the widgets on the home screen on iPad is a great testament to not only how you can personalize the experience, right? Get at-a-glance information, but also I think it's a good example of how we really think about the device, right? We created this new size widget specifically for iPad. Mm. iPad has a larger screen. You can have a larger widget, which is a total game changer when it comes to seeing your recent files or seeing movies you want to watch. Um, we think that's just a great testament to the large screen and, and completely echo your sentiments around the new multitasking controls. I think they took this capability that our users have come to rely on on iPad, which is the ability to run multiple apps at the same time, and they've made it easier to use, yep. easier to discover, and even more powerful. Um, and we're, you know, we're hearing exactly that from, from our users who are trying out the beta of iPadOS 15. It is, uh, it's a game changer.
like I've been using the drag and drop gestures for so many years now, you know, like dragging out of the dark. Mm-hmm. I was surprised how quickly I transitioned over to the the new way of of primarily now I'll tap the buttons right. and be like, all right, I want to put this on the left, I want to put this in slide over. It was very intuitive in a way that I wasn't expecting because I thought it would just been, become second nature for me to do the drag and drop stuff. Yeah, and it's interesting for, for for me. I did. I had the exact same experience. I've transitioned, but I also still use the drag as a as maybe a more advanced move. Sometimes a as an accelerator, and so that's still there, which I think is a nice, just a nice touch, right? If you want to quickly drag an app out and put it into, into split view or slide over, that capability is still there for users who find that to be an even faster way. So, and that's great that it wasn't taken away. I like that we now just have options, which is awesome. Exactly. Talking about options, there's one thing I wanted to ask you before we go, which is about center stage. So I think it's so awesome that center stage has so quickly found its way to other iPads. I was really surprised, pleasantly surprised, that the center stage has found its way to the iPad as well as iPad mini. I have, uh, my wife has a, an iPad Pro and we have calls every week with a friend of ours, with a couple of friends of ours, and we now both have center stage enabled iPad Pros on both sides. It's not only still hilarious at times, which is so great, like somebody <laughs> leaves and I get that great zoom on me, but two, it's just it's made it actually just so much easier to have these conversations because we don't have to have the iPad far away. We can have it closer to us. And one, I just want to say I love we everybody loves the feature, but two, I'm just really pleased to see how quickly that's moved to other parts of the iPad line. I think that's awesome. I think center stage is one of those features that exemplifies how um, important it is to really and deeply integrate hardware and software, Yes. right? Because now you don't even think about it, right? You don't have to do anything. You don't have to think about it. It just magically happens. And it, you know, quite, quite honestly, just sets that expectation that shouldn't all video conferences be this way, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so that is an example where, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, settings and all this stuff to, to, to mess with or do. It's just, it just works. It just mm-hmm. does its thing. You don't have to worry about it. And the key is, so you can concentrate on your conversation, right? <laughs> you can concentrate on connecting with that person or family member or coworker or multiple people on the other side of that call, right? I mean, one of the things that, you know, we we think at Apple is 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 our job is to get the technology out of the way, right? So humanity can come in, and that's you know what Center Stage is about is allowing you to make that connection with that person on the other end and not think about the fact that you're on a video call. And and one thing I'll add to that is what I think is also equally as exciting is we've built that capability into the OS. So third-party apps can take advantage of that, right? WebEx and Zoom and BlueJeans, et cetera, can all have access to center stage in their apps. And in fact, all the capabilities that we added to FaceTime this year, like portrait mode and the new mic modes, those are also available for developers. So as Tom was saying, you know, our focus is on making iPad the, the best possible device for having these connections and letting our develop and letting users use the apps that they want to use with those, which I think is a great great testament to the technology. Steve and Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been really great to be able to talk about iPad and iPad mini with you. Thank you very much. We love uh, doing this and we love, you know, the just 
you know, what, what we can deliver to our customers. And we know that um, many, many users, millions upon millions of users rely on our products every day. And, and it's, we, we're humbled by that responsibility. We take it incredibly serious. And uh, we just want them to have the best user experience and the, and the, and the best day they can using our products. And, and that's why we come to work every day. And that's mm -hmm. why we work so hard over them. Uh, and we really appreciate everyone who's using our products. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by privacy.com. I know so many times where I go online and I want to buy something and it's from a merchant that I don't know about. You know, I'm like, oh, do I want to give this company my card information? Because I've had, like you've all had, get those emails where you're like, hey, your card was in a data breach. Now you have to change your card and then you have to change every recurring payment you have of every company. Wouldn't it be nice to not have to worry about any of this? Well, privacy is a tool that makes it easy to manage your financial life online while keeping your most important information secure because it will generate virtual card numbers for you, masking your bank information. Privacy makes it so you never have to worry about giving out your card info to companies that you're just first interacting with online. I think this stuff is super cool and it's so easy to do. One of my favorite things is that it integrates directly with 1Password. So you can create, use, and save your privacy cards directly within your 1Password dashboard. All of the virtual cards created in 1Password have the same security benefits as your other privacy cards. And you can set spending limits, create single use, and merchant lock cards whenever you want. And something I love about this is you can, with a certain uh, privacy card that you set up, you can say, I only want to spend $50 a month on it and then it won't take any more payments. You know, maybe if you're with a company that you have variable payment on or you can create like, hey, I just want to pay someone one time with this one card, easy, or just to be like this card that I'm setting up, that one only goes to Netflix and nobody else can use it. And that's like all of this stuff, you can really set it up exactly the way that you want. You can take back control of your payments. You decide who can charge your card, how much and how often, and you can easily close them at any time. Plus it helps you make sure that you're never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service without your consent. This is super cool stuff. Go and check it out right now and there's a great deal for you. Go to privacy.com slash test drivers and you can sign up for an account. New customers automatically get $5 to spend on your first purchase. Hey, that's free money. Go to privacy.com slash test drivers and sign up right now. Our thanks to Privacy for their support of this show and Relay FM. Ooh, well, that was cool, man. That was very, very cool. Yeah, I was really pleased to be able to talk to to Stephen and Tom. I, I've spoken to them before on some other shows. They're great guys, and you could tell that they really love what they do. So it was super great to be able to talk to them. And man, there's so much to talk about. I feel like just scratching the surface. So obviously, we're recording this episode before we've actually gotten hands mm -hmm. on everything. So maybe next time we'll actually have... Uh, actually, I should ask, Are you? What, what's your iPad plan? Are you actually... Getting a mini? Oh, I, getting iPad, a... I pre ordered the iPad mini immediately. I've wanted this product for ages, like this, the idea of this product before it was even a rumor. Just like take the iPad mini, <laughs> but make it iPad Pro. You know, like I've wanted this for ages. So it was an easy one for me. So I actually haven't ordered any of the new iPads, mostly because I like, I love the idea of the iPad mini. But also, I haven't actively used an iPad mini since that second model, which I loved. But for me, I still think I like the, you know, the iPad Air, iPad Pro 11. It's like, that to me feels like kind of the right balance. And also, I really like my mouse and keyboard. I mean, my tr trackpad and keyboard. <clears throat> so. Yeah, I mean, for me, honestly, it's not going to replace 
I tell you where it's actually what I think is going to happen for me. I'm probably going to rotate out the twelve point nine, like, and be done like with the twelve point nine. Really? Um, yeah, because I have really just focused around the eleven inch iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one that I tend to use most at home. And then I use the 12.9 sometimes here at the studio because I just kind of have it. But I could imagine the iPad mini taking place of the iPad Pro at home because that's the one that I use for like reading and watching video, basic social media stuff, which is like, that's exactly what I can imagine the iPad, this iPad mini will be perfect for. I got one of the cases so it will stand up nice and easily, you know, like I can do all that stuff. But I don't really do any work from that iPad. Um, and so, because it's like, it's at home, it's on the couch. And so then I will probably bring the 11 inch iPad pro back to the studio and use that. Um, it's just because I've always, I've said this for years. I think the iPad 11 inch iPad pro or the, yeah, it is 11, right? It's 11 now. Yeah. 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 Um, I was getting myself mixed up. I've been thinking so much about old iPads over the past week or well, two. Like, I've been isn't getting... the iPad Air like 10.9 or something just to yeah. make things slightly more confusing? Yeah, yeah but that one's easier <laughs> though because there's only one iPad Air, right? True, if there was true. only one iPad Pro, I need I need to see iPad Pro because there's two of them. Because <laughs> so the big one, you know, I just I, the the smaller one, the smaller iPad Pro, I've said for years, like that's the iPad Pro I think like 90% of customers should buy. Because yep. like, it's like perfectly sized, especially when it went up to eleven inches. And like the 12.9 feels much more like a you know you need this. And it's the same with mm-hmm. laptops, right? Yeah. You know you need a 16-inch MacBook Pro because it's a big computer. Like most yeah. people just need the smaller one. And so I feel that way with the with the iPads. You know, and and it's borne out for me. I didn't upgrade to the new 12.9 and uh I'm I'm now just hoping that the 11 uh, will get the better screen at some point mm-hmm. in the future, but I'm still rocking my 2018 um 11 inch iPad Pro and it's doing great. Yeah. It works great my magic keyboard. Like I love that thing. I'm on the 2020 iPad Pro 11 and the only reason I upgraded to that was I regretted not getting LTE on the 2018 iPad. So yeah, no, same boat. I mean, these things, and I, we kind of talked a little about it in the interview, and they kind of had mentioned, you know, Apple Silicon. And like, it really does, you know, they've got such great hardware that especially when you go on like the iPad Pros, but in the iPad, they age so gracefully. Not only, you know, with the support of like iPad OS and still getting a lot of features, but the hardware, like that fundamental level of how much performance is in Apple Silicon means that even old iPads, like, so we actually have a video, which may or may not be live by the time uh, this, uh, this episode goes live, uh, where we almost kind of jokingly compared a several-year-old base iPad to a brand-new HP all-in-one. And the base old iPad was like twice as powerful. It was like mm-hmm. five, four years older. It's just something ridiculous. And it's like that performance not only allows you to do all the kind of fun AR stuff and everything, but it really kind of gives iPads such a long shelf life where they're not things that you have to upgrade every year or every two years. You can get lots of years out of these things. And I, I think that's a really nice thing because yeah. it's like, you know, a phone I get, you know, phones you're using however many hours a day, you want to make sure you have the best cameras, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like an iPad is a little bit closer to the cadence that you would upgrade like a laptop or something with, which is definitely what it should be. Yeah, we are recording this episode in advance. Um, I, we've mentioned on previous episodes, I have the podcast-a-thon as we're recording, like it's about to happen. Uh, so we recorded this one in advance a little bit. So I'm sure Austin will have his video up. Uh, so yeah, we just have to get this one out before I do my eight-hour thing, which by the way, Ooh. you can uh, now that you're hearing this, you'll be able to watch the eight-hour podcast-a-thon. It should be uploaded to YouTube. It will be on our Twitch page, but we're going also going to upload it to YouTube. Uh, if you tuned in at all, thank you so much. Um, I hope that we 
did really good. I'm sure we did. <laughs> uh, you can go to stjude.org slash relay as well, and you can continue donating to St. Jude uh, all throughout the end of September. And we're going to have a bunch of other milestones and goals going throughout the month. I congratulate you preemptively on what Thank was surely you. a perfect and excellent eight-hour stream. Stop it. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the iPhone 13 and iPhone 13 Pro. You know, by now, everyone has got the, like, these are the new features kind of thing. But I wanted to mm -hmm. dig into a couple of specific features that I want your opinion on. Okay. First up is the camera stuff, because most oh, yeah. of the people that I talk to, they like to take pictures of their iPhone and stuff and maybe the occasional video. But you are a video professional, and I mm -hmm. want to know what you think about cinematic mode. So cine cinematic mode, it's interesting. So again, I wish, I, when I actually have my hands on these phones, right, probably for the next episode, I think yeah, I'll we'll have a lot back more. next time. We'll report yeah, back yeah. next time. But it seems like it brings a lot of interesting features. Like, so going into the event, there had been some, you know, rumors that ProRes would be coming, which I was very excited for. And, you know, some kind of pro video app. And traditionally on most other phones, you know, there's a pro mode, which unlocks, you know, full manual control and whatnot. And that's that. Uh, but cinematic mode is such an Apple approach to it in that you don't have, you know, your, you can't, you know, just rack focus just by changing the slider to, you know, near or far focus, or you can't change your white balance and all that kind of stuff. It much more is so about, it's still trying to do everything as automatically as possible. And you have some control, but it's a very sort of like, Hey, trust us. We know what we're doing kind of thing, which to be fair, especially based on what they've shown, it looks very cool but I really want to see how it is. My priors going into this is that I'm still, for the majority of the shoots that we do, going to rely on the standard video. We may be shooting in the ProRes codec based on if it gives us better image quality or better highlights, blah, blah, blah. But the cinematic mode feels cool, but it does feel a touch like, yes, if you want to grab a quick video, you know, the way I grab a quick portrait mode photo, like, cool, that's great. But if you want to use it in a more kind of real professional angle, like the way that they showed it, on the the keynote, I think you're going to have to actually have some some real thought put into it. You're going to have to you know have the phone mostly locked off. You're going to have to really think about your shots because even with some of the stuff that we saw with the actual footage that they had shot at the event, it looked good. But you could tell it looked good because they'd spent a lot of time making sure that it looked good. It's not like I don't think it's going to be quite as simple as just smash the record button and suddenly you have a Hollywood masterpiece. Like that's just not the way a camera works even with all the Apple magic in the world. And uh ProRes. So, uh, I this is a feature that is not coming out yet. So the 13 Pro and the 13 Pro Max will support it, which is great. We shoot ProRes on a lot of our cameras and ProRes is essentially just a more pro codec. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's like Pro Raw, but ProRes actually has been around for a very long time. Like it's it's been I don't know, 10, 15 years or whatever the case is. It's a very, very old codec, but it is a very high quality way to capture video. You know, like our red can shoot ProRes. We mm -hmm. have like these like ProRes recorders that we have like our cameras running via HDMI in and they on an SSD, they save ProRes, which the files are large, right? And I know that one of the things people were talking about was that if you do buy the 128 gig iPhone 13 Pro or Pro Max, it's limited to 1080p ProRes. That's a good thing, because uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I don't know exactly what flavor of ProRes. There's like light, or there's LT, 422, 444, blah, blah, blah. There's different sizes of uh, ProRes. But I can tell you that on our cameras, shooting at 4K at 24 frames per second at ProRes 422, we can fill up a, oh God, is that 500 gigs in two hours? It's, it's 
massive file sizes. So if you're gonna be using ProRes, which I'm probably going to at least try, it makes sense to have at least the 500 gig or if not the one terabyte iPhone, in my opinion. Uh, that being said though, ProRes is good, but the H.265 that you get out of the iPhone already is honestly quite good. It doesn't give you a lot of range to tweak it. So generally speaking, I think the iPhone video looks excellent out of the box at the moment. And I'm sure it will continue to do so. Uh, what I would like to see is not only ProRes, you know, having more information, more data to work with, but also ideally a little bit more kind of tweakability because I think what Apple does is they really bake in all the color, right? There's not a lot of of flexibility there. And if you really do try to tweak the images and kind of really kind of color correct it, it starts to fall apart fairly quickly. So that would be what I would hope out of ProRes is that you're able to get not only a robust codec that hopefully has like 10-bit support and more color and more information, but also that footage is a little bit more neutral, I would guess, that would allow me to kind of go in and sort of tweak it to be exactly the way I want. Would is well, like would you do that? Like, say you were doing like a pickup shot with the iPhone. Would you shoot mm -hmm. in ProRes now, just because it would then make it easier for you to pop it, pop it into a video, or would that make a difference? So there are a couple of big questions I have about it. One of which is moving these files. So the existing iPhone video is pretty small, right? It's easy to either hook it up over USB or to dump it over AirDrop, although that gets a little weird because sometimes the phone decides randomly to like transcode it into like 264 or 1080p or whatever. Uh, but ProRes files are huge and it can take us, you know, 15, 20 minutes to dump an SSD at full USB 3.0 speed. Oh, damn. I, yeah, that would be the big thing that might hold me back from using yeah. ProRes a ton is if I plug it into my, you know, my Mac and I open up image capture, try to copy it over and go, okay, cool. That'll take two hours to move that seven minute clip. I don't think it'll be that bad. It could be bad. So that would be one of the things. And I just really want to see like all this is ProRes, which is great. But if it is the exact same looking image and it's just like a little bit more information to work with, but it's not a huge difference, I probably not really use that much. But at this point, I don't know. So I hope it will be good. And, you know, obviously I always like to get the best image quality possible. But the iPhone does such a good job right out the box that it's probably going to be a really like sort of a, a nice to have thing. And I, I might be able to make it through the entire year never opening ProRes if it really is annoying and not a big difference because the existing video is so good and honestly so convenient. A big reason why I use the iPhone in a lot of our videos is because it is so instant, right? Mm -hmm. There's no bringing the camera, there's no lenses, there's nothing. Like you pull it out of your pocket and five seconds later you're shooting perfectly serviceable video. That's really where the iPhone sort of excels for me in video. And I've shot like, there's a video we shot uh, at Micro Center, I don't know, a month or two ago. And through a mix-up, I was basically the only one there for the first like hour or two. So I just Ken pulled just out woke my mini. Up late, right? That's... Yeah, I, I I think there's a power outage. There's some excuse. <laughs> Didn't matter. I was there. I just shot it like straight up. Like all I had was like a little tiny like credit card size phone tripod and the iPhone 12 mini. And I just shot the first three or four minutes of that video. And well, yes, if you watch it, you could probably tell. But also, it was 100% fine. And in a lot of ways, the iPhone stuff actually looked slightly better than their standard Sony just because the way that Apple really kind of cranks up the saturation and the color and there's so much sort of dynamic processing going on that it's all instant. It's all happening sort of as you record. So I'm really excited. I'm probably more excited for ProRes than I am for Cinematic. Sure. Well, that makes more sense, though. Yeah, because Cinematic also seems to be possibly limited to 1080p, but also... Again, I want to spend some time with it because some of the stuff like the focus racking is cool, but I'm curious how much of the focus racking is actually like the lens physically changing 
versus them just completely sort of like doing it with their sort of depth of field. Because even with, especially with how much larger the sensors are on these iPhone 13s, you're actually going to get like some actual depth of field as you change focus. So what I'm curious is how much of that is just actually just the way that the camera looks versus what's being added on with this sort of portrait mode style blur. I bet it's like all of it. It could be. But you looking know? through some of the footage that they had shown at the event, I actually could have believed that a lot of those shots were potentially real like depth of field because the sensors on the new iPhones. No, I mean like as in I expect they're doing both. Yeah. Well, right. and also, you can probably tweak it because it seems like with, again, they showed it for a brief second, you can adjust just like in portrait mode, kind of like the, the simulated f-stop or the depth of field. So technically, you could probably just crank it all the way off and then just use it as standard. I've also heard uh, potentially that there may be some support for some of that sort of after-the-fact focus and whatnot yeah. coming to some other apps, which would be uh, oh. lovely. <clears throat> Final Cut. <clears throat> Wouldn't that be wonderful if you could actually change that? There's some stuff that I think would be a no-brainer for them to add, but it's still like they showed off. It looks cool, but I really want to see what's up. And above anything else, I would love to have, if it's not like full log, I'd like to have at least a little bit of a flatter image profile on the iPhone 13 to be able to just tweak it a little bit more. But honestly, it's already been the best phone for video. I already use it a ton anyway. The bigger sensors, the better ultra-wide, the better telephoto, all this stuff, it's going to be a no-brainer. Ooh, ooh, wait. Did I just, ooh, uh oh My, I, th I think I, I, I actually, uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm going to have to just run that back. I accidentally spoiled the, what I was about to say. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm switching from the mini. Uh, uh, sorry. I, I was like, wait, what's he done? Is he stop press, is he press, like, stop recording over there? <laughs> I didn't mean to leak it like that. Uh, I'm switching to the Let's pros. Pause here, it a second. Pause, please pause a second. Because <laughs> uh, I gotta, I want to get to this, but I want it. Because if I don't ask you now, we're gonna get sidetracked. Overall thoughts on the camera hardware, though. Oh, hugely impressive. Yeah. The standard 13. Uh, I mean, it really seems like it's inheriting uh, the 12 Pro Max style main camera, and the ultra wide's a little bit better. Great, cool, but the Pro. I mean, it's such a huge step forward. Not only do you have the much wider aperture lens, you have the autofocus support, you have the macro support on the ultra-wide on the 13 Pro and Pro Max. Phenomenal. I'm so excited about that because the ultra-wide for me, I've used it pretty infrequently. It's just, it's that good. Like, it, it, you, it's, there's such a lack of quality. You really notice, especially if it's not perfect lighting. I use it, but I'm always like, I really want this effect, but like, oh man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're, like, shooting a daytime on a sunny day, it looks yep. fine. Anything other than that, and you can just tell you're losing quality. Now, yep. mind you, it's still, I bet, going to be somewhat like that. But this new ultra-wide, especially on the Pro, does look like a big step forward. Mm -hmm. And the telephoto, 3X is perfect. I like, I mean, sure, 2.5X is fine. It's not that huge of a difference. But 3X, as well as sort of all the stuff that they've done, is awesome. But I'm most excited for the main wide-angle camera on the Pro and the Pro Max. They've gotten, it's still not quite as big as some of the, the big chunk of sensors and like the S21 Ultra and whatnot, but it is a very large sensor, which is kind of coming back to what I was talking about with the video. That's going to allow you to actually get like, you know, real depth of field in the standard hmm. camera mode because the sensor is just that big. So I'm really excited to see, not only with the low light, you know, uh, connotations, you know, each pixel is larger. So photos and video are going to look better in lower light, but also just in the fact that the size of the sensor and the iPhone 13 Pro is now actually like not crazy far off of like, you know, decent, you know, like one inch sensors and like the Sony RX100. It's not as big, wow. but it's getting 
fairly close. I think it's like one point, oh God, don't quote me on this, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's like, it's a significantly larger sensor and it's really getting to the point where the iPhone is now has not only the hardware, but also all the crazy software on the back end to make it, you know, great. I'm very excited. Cameras, easy, easy number one pick for why I'm excited for the 13 Pro and the Pro Max and the even the 13 and the Mini, but especially the Pros. So, I mean, I, I was going to ask you about battery life, but it feels like maybe it's the cameras that's pushed you over the edge. But th there's battery life gains across the board. The Mini and the Pro both get an hour and a half more than the 12s and the 13. Uh, yeah, the, the so the regular Pro. <laughs> wait, wait. This is <laughs> there's two iPhones. <laughs> the Mini, the iPhone 13 Mini and the iPhone 13 Pro they get one and a half hours longer than their predecessors, the mm -hmm. 12s. The 13 and the 13 Pro Max, they both get two and a half hours more. Two and a half hours on the 13 Pro Max, I think that phone <laughs> will outlast me at this point. <laughs> yeah, like, look, I'm always happy for more battery life. Like, no one's ever going to say, oh, I'm so salty, because, like, well, actually, you know what? No, people will. People will be like, I can only make it through a day in three quarters. I can't make it full two days. But uh, look, it, it's nice to see. I think it's most impactful really on the Mini. Um, as we've discussed many times, the Mini is a great phone, but the battery life has always been a struggle. Another hour and a half, I think, will make it perfectly reasonable. Like right now, I feel like it's kind of like bordering on like the acceptable range of like, yeah, you can kind of get through a full day with it. But you might have to hit the charger toward the end of the day if it's a more sort of intense thing. You're playing a lot of games or anything like that. An extra hour and a half of battery life, I think, will make all but the most hardcore battery days easy to make it through without hitting a charger. And it seems like this has probably been the focus of the A15, right? Okay, A15. So, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of chatter right now about the differences between the A14 and the A15. Um, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about it next episode after I've actually kind of spent some time playing with it. But it's interesting to me, a couple things. Uh, first of all, the fact that they're bending it so that the standard iPhone 13 and mini have a four-core GPU and the Pro models have a five-core GPU. That's interesting. It's not really unusual in like the PC space for like, you know, graphics cards and even like CPUs to a degree. Uh, very unusual in the mobile space. In fact, the only other time I've ever really seen this is they did it with the M1s where there's a seven core and an eight core GPU. And there was a time where they went from like, what was it, A12X to Z? Yeah, it was one of the X to Zs. I don't remember which. I think it might have been A14. It was, it was one on the of them. iPad. Yeah, yeah. One of the iPads, that they they did this too as well. It's interesting. I mean, look, I mean, on one side, I think that it makes sense. Like, sure, you know, the Pro phones, they have a little bit more cooling capability. Uh, and, you know, as a mobile chip manufacturer, right? Like, if I'm Apple and I order and I have, you know, 100 million of these chips sitting around, I can guarantee you not all of those are going to be fully functional. And if, you know... Uh, uh, 20 million of them are going to get thrown in the garbage because one of their GPU cores doesn't work. It totally makes sense to instead of just tossing it away to ship it in phones that are maybe slightly lower end to help differentiate. There's nothing crazy with that. What is slightly strange to me, though, is that, it, that it's Apple doing it on the iPhone. On top of that, so uh, again, because we're recording early, I don't want to talk too much about benchmarks. Um, but obviously having a five-core GPU is probably going to mean there's a much more significant difference uh, between, I mean, it looks like the the GPU is smoking the old one. So, 
Yeah, but with the five core, the four core uh-huh. seems like it's not as huge of an upgrade. So again, l- I want to talk more about specs next time. In fact, all there's right. a lot we have for our next episode. Um, but yeah, and there's promotion. There's all there's all kinds of stuff. Um, but I'm I'm switching to pro. I'm I'm doing so it. So why I'm, why why? So this, let's let's camera. let's round out the episode on this. Is the camera purely? Uh, well, look. I mean, am I going to say no to a better battery life? Am I going to say no yeah, but to it's more than GPU? This is the whole thing, right? You've spent yeah. the last year talking about like two things: small phones and flip phones. <laughs> so why? Right, this is true. Like, what wasn't? Wouldn't have this been inevitable to you that this would happen? So there's a couple things. Uh, mentally, for me, knowing that this may be the last year of the mini, that's part of it. You got to get off the train, man. A, yeah, a little you gotta bit. Get off the train. But- the biggest thing is the Mini wasn't a compromise last year. Like, the, yes, the camera wasn't quite as good as the Pro Max, but look, I don't care how amazing the camera is, I was not going to switch to a Pro Max, right? So that was, like, easy. It was close enough. The screens, you know, there was no 120 hertz last year, so that was easy. Battery life wasn't as amazing. But honestly, there were no trade-offs that were hugely impactful for me. This year, though, the Pro having the ProMotion display, having the significantly better battery life, really, in comparison this year, having the better performance, but ultimately having not only better cameras than the Mini, but equally good cameras to the Pro Max. Like, it's a bigger phone, but I've used, like, I mean, before I was on the Mini, I was on the 11 Pro. So, like, I've used this size of phone before. Like, it's not a... It's not my ideal sort of preference, but if I can, you know, I trade a slightly larger phone that I'm comfortable with for a ton of upgrades and ultimately a camera which is going to be far, far better... It's an easy choice for me. Like uh, the Pro seems like it is way better than the 12 Pro was last year because the 12 Pro was in this really weird kind of like middle zone where it was like it had like middle child syndrome hardcore. It was more expensive than the regular 12. It had like a couple of upgrades, but really a lot of the big stuff like the better battery and the bigger cameras and all that kind of stuff were all kind of sort of gated off to the 12 Pro Max. So like that phone didn't make sense to me last year. The Mini was super simple. This year though, the Mini in the standard 13 have seen decent upgrades, right? But spending just a little bit more gets you what I would say a very significant upgrade across the board on the Pro and I guess secondly the Pro Max if, uh, I mean, no offense, if, if you're a, um, a Pro Max user, which I would never discriminate against. Uh, <laughs> you don't need to hands. worry about us, man. We don't need to worry. <laughs> We're all good over here. we got everything, best everything, most everything. <laughs> no issues. <laughs> you, uh, you got an iPad mini in your pocket? <laughs> so? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, man. i got Is the best cameras, <laughs> best batteries. You know, I, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling. I'm rolling over here. I'm fine. I just... I just want to see you walking down the street with an iPhone 13 Pro Max in one pocket and an iPad Mini in the other. I just, I feel like this is your future. I'm genuinely intrigued to put those two things next to each other and just kind of look at it for a bit. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. one of, obviously, like I know that people say like, oh, it's, what's the point of these? They're so close to each other. So well, yeah, but they do actually run different operating systems. Like that, yeah, that is a big difference. And it's also like the shape of the screen, like the aspect mm-hmm. ratio is a big difference. It's not just the size. Because you couldn't do like split screen multitasking as comfortably on an iPhone than you can on an iPad, even the smallest one. So, but yeah, I'm yeah. intrigued to see those two things next to each other. <laughs> I'm much more excited for the 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 iPad Mini than anything else. You really I are. Mean, yeah, I really uh, like, that is the thing that I'm most into. Like the iPhone is kind of like this is everything I mostly expected. I am like cautiously optimistic about the cameras because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
last year it felt like wow massive camera improvement and like i don't really feel like i felt it as a user you know yeah. like talking about like the bigger sensor and the and the opt- and the sensor shift uh optical image stabilization and stuff i don't really know i i don't know if i can point to what was different for me there but yeah. going again to now further to the telephoto and the macro that's the thing i'm most excited about yeah, um, and the like autofocus on the much improved ultra wide. This feels to me, for most users, a bigger jump than last year. So, I mean, but I'm I'm trying to like calm my excitement because I got yeah, overexcited yeah. last night. <laughs> Well, it's like, look, last year's phones had terrific cameras across the board, right? The ultra wide was really the only kind of sore point, and even then, it was like it was fine, like it was fine. This year. All cameras across every iPhone 13 have been improved by an exciting degree. And I think the pros have gotten sort of the best end of the deal. I, look, I, I will fully agree that if you were on an iPhone in the last three years, it, all the cameras are great. Like, it's not like there's like massive, huge, earth shattering. Like, remember like when the Pixel and the Pixel 2 came out? Like, that was a massive shift, right? We're kind of past the point where like, all of these cameras are excellent, and it's just a matter of being even more excellent year after year, right? But I think as someone who just uses these, you know, and more of an actual professional capacity of, you know, I'm shooting lots of video and photos and stuff, like, to me, if I can get even a slightly better camera, that is well worth it, where, you know, on the flip side of not using the iPhone, I may have to go and spend thousands of dollars on some other camera to take with me. If I can get closer to that kind of quality in something that I'm just going to have in my pocket already, that has immense immense value so i'm excited man Me the too. mini has been great i will wish it fond farewell it, it has served me well but that 13 pro baby whew. 